Praise the Lord. What a joy. I just want to say that you have a beautiful campground. Take care of it. I was telling Pastor Mark, I've been visiting some of our campgrounds in the AG, and you guys are, you guys are up there. This is really nice. And uh, take advantage of it to come out here and just seek the Lord. Every August, when I was pastoring in Chicago, every August, for three days I would leave and I would just go find a body of water somewhere just to hear from the Lord and to get vision for the coming year. And that was a practice I'd have for 19 years. Somewhere in an ocean, somewhere in the lake, I just wanted to be just the Bible, the Lord, for him to speak with me, my journal, and just to hear from the Lord. So I say that so that in case someone needs to hear from the Lord, that this is what you need to do. Because God is still speaking these days. You hear me? God is speaking. And people are getting saved around the United States. People are coming to the Lord. Baptisms are happening in inner city, in the suburbs, in, in the rural areas. It's just amazing how people are coming to the Lord. And some of the old members are probably not coming back. So move on. <laughs> some of you are praising the Lord that they're not coming back. Come on, you know who I'm talking about. Some of them, you're like, Lord, get rid of her. Lord, whatever you got to do, get rid of her. And then that happened. You're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. She's not coming back. Well, he's not coming back. But praise the Lord. Uh, um, as I travel, I've been talking to AG churches. And many of our churches have experienced a growth financially and even, even numerically. Uh, and I, I believe that what we experience in 2020, and we find in the book of Acts, these five ripples that you'll see a growth. So get ready. Make sure the church is clean. Make sure there's toilet paper. He's going to send the harvest. Remember you were forewarned. Get the house ready. Get it cleaned up. And we're going to see a great harvest this fall. We declare that in decree. How many believe that in Jesus' name? Amen. I speak that over your life. That you prepare for this great harvest that's coming your way. And in Jesus' name. When you came in, we gave a sheet uh, for the notes tonight. Hope you got that. If you don't have one, please raise your hand. We'll get you one or sell you one. I'm joking. We wouldn't do that. But thank you, Mark, and the Executive Presbytery for inviting. You know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Chicago. So Minnesota, I'm like one of you guys. You know, when it comes to weather, when it comes to sports, well, that's a whole other conversation. But, but this is... You know, Minnesota was one of my states when I was the decap for the Midwest Latin District. I had to come to Minnesota to visit some of our churches. So I'm just, just glad to be back home in one of our states and, and being with you guys to be able to share. Tonight, I want to do something different. I shared with you last night. I want to give you a word, and then we're going to do a, a small little exercise, if you will. I kind of alluded to our superintendent, what I was planning to do. And, but um, Ezekiel chapter 22. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm still old-fashioned like that. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. It's where I want to preach at tonight, out of my book, In the Gap. I want to tell you tonight that we have, a, we have a gap problem. 
in our culture. We didn't create the gap, but it's encompassed upon the church to stand in the gap, to pray in the gap, to intercede in behalf of your city and your people. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty says, I look for someone among them who will build up the wall and stand before me in the what? In the gap. The word gap there in Hebrew is Ibanayim, which means between two places. So I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the Ibanayim on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. And here's what God said. But I found no one. Nobody who had the courage, no one who had the audacity to stand for what they believe or stand for what they sing. We're living in those days where we are now going to separate the sheep and the goat. Maybe in the 70s, in the 60s, and the 80s, we can get away with being undercover Christian, but today, that's not the case. Today, you're going to have to take a stand for what you believe, and it may not be popular. It may not be politically correct, but it's it's a before us, and we must decide where we're going to stand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. Uh, you're the God of I am, that before we came here tonight, you were already here. And so I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters who are in different cities and towns all over the state, standing in gaps, helping the needy, the poor, the marginalized voiceless. We pray tonight, Lord, that you would speak to us. Speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Take a seat among us. Without you, Lord, we don't want to have service. If your presence is not with us, we don't want to do this. We don't want to preach. We don't want to pastor a church. We don't want to be a youth pastor. If your presence is not with us, we don't want to do this. We need your presence more than ever. So help us. Speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Have your way. Have your way in my life. Have your way in our marriages. Come on, just tell them, church. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. My children, have your way in my church. Have your way with our board. Have your way with our finances. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Come on, 30 seconds. Just tell them. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. I want to remove my hand from the steering wheel, God. You drive this, Lord. You drive this, Lord. I'll be the co-captain, Lord. You're the captain of the ship. Have your way, Lord. We need you, God. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, 15 seconds. Hallelujah. Come on, have your way. Have your way, have your way, have your way. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Gloria a Dios. Hallelujah, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Come on, five seconds, come on. Hallelujah, have your way. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. You are worthy to be praised. 
Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Glory, 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 glory. Holy, 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 holy. Glory to God, hallelujah. You are holy. You are holy. Have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. In the book of Revelations, the angels are singing holy. Holy. They're not singing grace. Grace. They sing, they sing holy. It's what God is seeking, holiness. And no one drifts towards holiness. It is our natural tendency as human beings to drift away. When we assume that God is not on his throne or that the world has gone crazy. But we have been faced as a nation, we have been faced as a community of many gaps. Tonight I want to talk to you about Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 6 and 7. Several things in your paper, there will be four different things I want to talk to you about. They'll all be P's, but to begin this teaching tonight, let's just at least talk about several things, the temple, the wall, and the gaps that occurred. We are called to dedicate our lives to rebuilding the broken down walls so that we may reflect the fully restored glory of God as he intended. The temple, symbolic to our own spiritual lives, the temple was restored and built before restoring the walls that you know the temple was left vulnerable to attack the walls the walls surrounding Jerusalem are the walls surrounding your life symbolically the walls are symbolic to standards of integrity of a mindset of godliness that's the standard And you must have standards in your life, in your marriage, in your family, as a pastor. You must have standards because if you don't have standards, Hollywood will create them for you. Just saying. Gaps. Gaps is integrity compromise. A weakness in standards. Walls are there to protect, to keep the bad out and keep the good in. It is dangerous to have gaps in our lives. Yet we are called to stand in the gap, to pray in the gap. Pray for our our ministries, pray for our families, our communities, to rebuild areas in our lives that threaten our relationship with God, but also for others to intercede, to instruct, to set an example, to inspire those that are in danger. That's when you stand in the gap. You inspire those in your community, young people, the next generation that's watching you. They get inspired when they see their pastor standing in the gap. What's a gap, Pastor Choco? A gap is a place of weakness, a place of vulnerability and danger. A gap is that place of limitation, a place of exposure. When you get out there and you put yourself out there, you are exposed to the enemy. Follow me. It's a place of threat. If you want to play it safe, 
this is not where you want to be. But if you want to go against the current, then you will stand in the gap. And you would say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. History, you know, that in 586, if you're taking notes, the fall of Jerusalem and the temple burned in 586 B.C. It was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. 50,000 were deported to Babylon. The prophet Ezekiel was among this group. At 537, the first group came back from captivity under Zerubbabel to restore the altar and worship. To restore the altar and worship. In 516, the temple is finished and dedicated to the Lord. It's the time in around 445 BC, thereabouts, where Nehemiah begins the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah asked a question, a question that many of us, that if we're not going to do anything about the answer, then we should not ask the question. <laughs> he said, hey, how's Jerusalem to Hananiah? Oh, you, you know, they were at Starbucks and, and, and there was Nehemiah ordering his caramel macchiato upside down. And he saw Hananiah and he just thought, hey, let me just have a, open up a conversation. How's Jerusalem? Oh, you want to know? Women are being raped. We're being robbed. And he's like, I just came here for my caramel macchiato, man. This is too much for me. But it was that, that, that announcement, you know, you've preached this. It's that announcement that led him to a season of prayer. That when you and I hear things, I want you to write this down, because with revelation comes responsibility. Once God reveals to you the condition of your state, the condition of your town and your city, yes, pray, but we must act. With revelation comes responsibility. It just was an ordinary day for him. And his life would never be the same after that answer. And I'm just saying to you pastors, you never know what God has in store for you when you ask the question. And some of us don't ask the question because we don't want to know the answer. Or we know the answer and we don't want to do nothing about it. You never know, y'all, what God has in store for your life. Even in an everyday conversation. So keep your heart open to the leading of God's spirit. Nehemiah asked about Jerusalem and received the news that the walls of Jerusalem were broken and the gates were burned. Some folks prefer not to know what's going on. You know, some people, not here in Minnesota, but other people in other parts of the country, they say, well, what, what you don't know won't hurt. But Nehemiah found out. He was distraught to hear the news of the condition of his land, that the remnant living there were struggling to survive. You know the story of Nehemiah, his position, high official, with King Artaxerxes in the city of Susa. He served as a cupbearer. He was a layman. He wasn't a pastor. He was not a priest. He was a layman. I believe that we're in the season of lay people. We need to release the lay people. We need to release them. I know some of them are knuckleheads, but release them. 
We were knuckleheads one time. He was a man of responsibility and influence, but he was a lay person. We have him in our churches. He could have easily just felt bad about the situation and moved on with his comfortable life. It's the day when the 2002, when the commander of the 14th district came to my church and said to me, Reverend DeJesus, we have a problem. I said, Commander, what's the problem? He said, Reverend, we've arrested uh, 600 women in nine months for prostitution. Is there anything your church can do? I said, Commander, we'll pray for you. Now, I believe in the power of prayer. But I already told you that with revelation comes what? So I go home and I tell my wife, I said, babe, in nine months, they arrested 600 women. Unduplicated for prostitution. That's insane. I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning and I feel like my father in heaven told me to buy a farm. So my wife was making coffee in the kitchen. I go to the kitchen. I said, babe, I think God wants us to buy a farm. She says, what do you know about farming? I said, nothing. But I do know about obedience. I told you last night that understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. That your miracle and your blessing is attached to your obedience. And that many of us in the United States are not experiencing the more of God because we're trying to understand God. And God doesn't ask us to understand him. He's asking us to obey him. And so I go with that mandate. I go to my church full of Puerto Ricans for, for the most part in Humble Park, Chicago. And I go to my church and I said, church, somebody here has a farm. Give it up. My wife was the worship leader. I said, come on, baby, leave worship. One week passed by, nobody said anything. Second week, I come back to the pulpit in Chicago. Serious. Someone, somebody here has a farm. Stop playing. Give it to the Lord. Come on, baby. Lead worship. A month passed by. Now, you know, like every pastor would do, now I'm bringing scripture. That's what we do. Rahab. Rahab in the Bible, she's not born a prostitute. Something must have happened to her. And no girl in the United States is born a prostitute. And then we must do something. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing the pastor thing. Who has the farm? Give it up. Come on, baby, worship. Two months passed by, three months passed by, four months passed by. Now, like every single one of you, I'm thinking to myself, I know my father's voice. He's spoken before. I know his voice. Six months passed by. I think for a moment I felt like God was in the heavens with the angels over the balcony of heaven. And that God was saying, let's see how long Choco's going to go along with this. On the eight months, I come to the pulpit. Come on, man. I'm serious. Who has the farm? We got to help these girls. Come on, babe. Leave worship. On the eighth month, a lady comes to me. Her uncle has a wife of 42 years, passed away. Owns a farm in Geneseo, Illinois, 15 acres. She tells me that her uncle heard that I wanted to rescue women from prostitution and human trafficking and drug addiction. Six, 
$160,000, 15 acres. I was in a Sunday. Monday, I head to the farm with my wife and some of the demons of the church, deacons of the church. I mean, the deacons of the church. And uh, I get to the farm. I get to the farm. I walked around the farm, the 15 acres. I come back to the team and I said, thus saith the Lord, this is the farm. And one of the deacons says, Pastor Choco, we should at least go to Wisconsin or Michigan, look around. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. No, I didn't say that, but I wanted to say that. And I said, so that you know that my father is with me. He will send me the money cash. I would not have to take a loan for this farm. Because he has a cat on a thousand hills. He will send me the money. So we leave the farm. We come back to Chicago. A week passed by. I'm in my house. I'm in my office. Back and forth. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I already said we're not going to take a loan. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? This is crazy. He said, run. 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 That's it. I'll run. I'll run from Genesee, Illinois to Chicago. It's 182 miles. It'll take me three days to run, ride, bike, run, ride, bike. That's the plan. So I go to the church. I said, church, here's the plan. Here's how we're going to raise the money. I'm going to run 182 miles. I'm going to run. I'm going to ride bike. I'm going to run. I'm going to ride bike. It'll take me three. The church is like, glory of the house. Praise God. After the service, my wife pulls me over. I said, babe, I want to talk to you. I said, what's up? She says, you're not a runner. You will die in the first mile. I said, I know. Jesus said, if you try to preserve your life, you've lost it. But if you lose your life for me, you found it. And so I started running 7 a.m. from Genesee, Illinois. The church got so scared, they sent a doctor on a van to follow me. True story. When we get to heaven, we're going to ask God to replay this because this... I'm making a long story short. We get to the, we, we get to the farm, we, we, we run, we ride bike, we run, we ride bike. When I get to the city of Chicago, the city line, Cook County, they're waiting for me, the police department, to give me an escort into Humble Park, Chicago. And the church was packed with people, packed with people that heard that I was running, yada, yada, yeah, you know, you know the deal. So after the service and the hype and all that great stuff, I go find the CFO the, the accounting guy, I said, how much did we raise? Well, the, he said, well, Pastor Choco, sit down. I said, don't tell me. He said, we, well, we raised 13000 I said, you mean 113000 He said, nope, 13000 I leave the CFO. I go upstairs to my office. I close the door. I have a discourse with my father. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> Why make me run for $13,000. My ankles were swollen. My back is hurting. You know, this, he's my father. He, he gives me latitude. The phone rings. A brother from Lombard, Illinois. Hey, Choco. I say, hey, what's happening? I heard you have a shelter for homeless women and children. I said, I do. I have 35 homeless women and children that live with us. He says, my wife and I, we want to give you a washer and dryer. He comes the next day. They're unloading the truck. He comes up to my office. Says, how was the run? I told him about the run. I told him about with revelation comes responsibility. I told him that we as a church must do something. Then he asked me the question, how much did you raise? Well, I said 13, really 12, because you gave me 1,000. And then he starts crying. He stands up, 
His wife starts crying. I'm freaking out. He says, Pastor Choker, I have not said anything to my wife. But if your church can raise $40,000, my wife and I will give you $50,000 cash to buy the farm. So the following Sunday, I go to my church. Church, somebody here has (laughs) $40,000. Give it up. Come on, babe, leave worship. (laughs) Why change anything? Stay the course. Stay the course. It worked the first time. Make a long story short, December 31st came, we bought the farm. We ended up raising the money, the 40000 They gave us the 50000 The rest was raised before December 31st. We bought the farm, and we've rescued since then 742 women from prostitution. <laughs> With revelation comes responsibility. I did not create that gap, but there was a gap. And I'm a firm believer that no woman is born a prostitute. That there's no five-year-old girl waiting to turn 16. The girl, that's being, the girl that's being trafficked, she's not 21. She's five years old. We have a girl at the farm, as I speak to you tonight, who was trafficked by five years old by her mother. The average kid, the average person that's homeless in America is not 35, is nine years old. We have a gap problem. Two billion people on planet Earth can't read or write. You didn't create that. I didn't create that. I'm just trying to tell you, we have a gap problem. And that the church of Jesus Christ must respond. And so when Nehemiah heard, heard about the problem in Jerusalem, here's what he did. Number one, in your papers, he prayed. His first response was to pray. So if you're going through some hardship in your life, in your ministry, pray. Get off Facebook. And put your face in another book. He depended on God. Praying is an activity. A spiritual activity. Prayer activates the power. The wisdom. And the strength of God. We don't pray for the power to fight. But we pray for the God of power to fight for us. So prayer activates, and you're learning in this retreat that prayer activates the hand of God that moves in our favor. Nehemiah prayed. He had a predicament. He had a situation. And I need, I believe in those three months that he was praying that God gave him the know-how, the wisdom. And if you're experiencing a great difficulty and you're about to undertake a great challenge or a new building project or something in your community, pray to the great God who has great powers. Just telling you, prayer works. First thing he did was to pray. So my brothers and sisters, if you're facing something back home, Pray. How long? Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. Don't stop praying. And you, there's, there's different ways to pray or different prayers, but keep praying. Number two, he planned. He approached the king. He asked for a favor. He risked his position. He planned. He asked for letters for the governors for his journey for safe passage. You know this, a letter for the keeper of the park so he could get all the wood that he needed to rebuild. 
If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. He planned. He was strategic in waiting for the right time, the timing of God to go see the king. My brothers and sisters, we need to be planners, strategists. But there comes a time where we must call break. You can't stay in the huddle. Can you imagine this Sunday that you watch the Vikings and they're in the huddle for an hour? You will change the channel. You, you can't do that as a Christian. You can't do that as a team. There comes a time where you make a plan and then you call break. And execute the plan. And that's what our people are waiting for. The lay people are waiting for, for us to call the plan and then execute it. But you can't be in the huddle for talking about what you're going to have for lunch and dinner. Let's stay here. Let's talk big. Let's talk big stuff. Because we're really good with that. This is what we need to do. Talk big stuff. And we've been talking about it for five years. But it's good stuff. Your people will leave you. They want to get on the line. And they want to execute their God-given ability. Call break. Call break. I think, now listen, this is my opinion. I think in 2020, the church lost an opportunity to be a prophetic voice in the craziness of the world. Let me explain it this way, since we're talking about football. I believe that there are three teams on the football field in the NFL. There are three teams. The offense, the defense. And then there's another team called the referees. There are nine of them. The offense says to the defense, we're going to shove this ball down your throat. The defense says, well, you're going to have to kill us, but you're not going to get a touchdown. And then the other nine that are part of a team, the referees, they have a playbook that has been sanctioned by New York. But they have a different uniform. And I think what happened last year, here's what I think happened. Because of all the craziness in the playing field, many pastors, because I believe that you and I, we're the referees, and that we have a playbook, and it's called the Bible, and has been given us by God so that we can legislate it here on planet earth. And when we see a craziness on the defensive side, we throw a flag and say, you can't do that unnecessary roughness. You can't do that. And when we see a delay of game on the offensive side and burning of buildings and so forth, you can't do that either. But what happened is many of our leaders took off their uniform and joined one of the teams. And when you do that, you have weakened your voice to legislate the playbook by God on planet Earth. I've been saying to people, I've been saying to folks that we don't represent the donkey or the elephant. We represent the lion from the tribe of Judah. That's who we represent. Now, you may not like what I'm saying, but I'm leaving in a little bit anyway. But I'm giving you a word. Nehemiah, he prayed. And in that season of prayer, God gave him wisdom. And then he went into planning of how he was going to execute. 
And I'm trying to teach you tonight that there comes a time when you must call break and execute the Dream Center. Execute these outreaches for these kids. Execute standing in the gap. Raise the money. I told you last night, God doesn't have a problem with money. He has a problem getting money through you, not to you. So he prayed. Number two, he what? He planned. Number three, he proceeded. Nehemiah was willing to go 766 miles. I was willing to do 182 for these women. I don't even know who they were. But my father loves them. He loves them. Even in their craziness. Even in their mess. My father loves them. Nehemiah was willing to go the distance 766 miles to rebuild the walls, the standards of Jerusalem. He proceeded. I remember when it was the earthquake, the first earthquake in Haiti, and I went out there the first time, and I went there with 50 nurses and doctors from Chicago, and I took them there, and we did our, our stuff, and, and I was there for a week, and then I came back the following week, and then they took me into a town, and there they started giving me stories about how people had to walk maybe three hours to a center, not even a hospital, a center. They had to walk hours to get to the center. And if they wanted to get to the hospital, it would at least be a day or two if someone was injured. And I said, this is crazy. You guys need ambulances here. An ambulance would knock this off the box. Remember I told you with revelation comes responsibility. So one day, I was in Chicago at a press conference with the mayor, Mayor Daly, and I was talking and the Holy Spirit says, ask the mayor for two ambulances. I'm like, what? So I finished speaking and I went to the mayor. I said, mayor, the Lord told me you're going to give me two ambulances. Talk to you later. God bless you. <laughs> Left him. True story. A week later, a week later, I get a call from the mayor's office to come pick up two ambulances. We picked them up. Uh, we picked up from his fleet of ambulances. We picked up two ambulances. We brought them to Humble Park. And now I got two ambulances in front of me. I got to get them to Miami to put them on a boat to get them out to Santo Domingo, then take them into Haiti. So here we are. We're getting all ready. I got all these Puerto Rican drivers and so forth. And then they hit me. I said, wait a minute. We can't cross these state lines from Chicago to Miami with these Puerto Rican people, they're going to think we robbed these ambulances. I need a letter from the mayor of the city of Chicago to give me access all the way through to Miami. And that's what happened. The mayor's office gave me that letter and our drivers took that. Make a long story short, we put it on a ship and sent it out to Haiti. With revelation comes responsibility. He prayed, he planned, he proceeded to move towards the walls. So it's important to know as leaders that we're not stagnant. When God reveals things to us, we move or he'll find someone else. Number four, in your papers, he persuaded. He persuaded the people. I'm a firm believer that there's some people in our church that have the gift of discouragement. No matter what you do and what you say, they're always discouraged. They have a gift. And I'll tell people, like, you are gifted. 
the Lord has gifted you with discouragement. And they're like, really? No, I'm playing. He didn't give you that. He persuaded the people to rebuild the walls. There will always be challenges when you and I stand in the gap. It's never easy. There'll be death threats in your life. But you must do what he called you to do. You and I know the story of the three men that confronted Nehemiah, that represented the challenges that we face. Samblot means compromise, if you're taking notes. It's the first guy. He was the governor of Samaria. Samaria is the region surrounding Jerusalem. He represents temptation to compromise in our Christian walk, Samblot. Tobiah was the second guy. He represents division. His name means God is good, but he was a pagan. Tobiah, he, has, he, he represents division within our team. Be careful with those who come to divide. Tobiah is a very powerful official that governs within Jerusalem, but he creates division and he stirs up dissension from the inside out. He mocks the rebuilding of the efforts, yet he claims the glory and the recognition for his own political gain, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3. But he's able to stir up an entire sect of Israelites to rise up against Nehemiah to abandon the project. And in response, Nehemiah decides the laborers must work with a spear and a bow on hand. Tobiah represents challenges. Geshem, this third person in the story, represents storms. His name means storms, representing the heavy rains that would come in the fall and winter. God never promised you a smooth sailing, but he did promise you a safe landing. In ministry, you always have storms. When you're trying to accomplish something for someone else and help the poor and those that are in the gap, there will always be storms. But here's what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 11. But I say, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. My friends, you cannot hide. I cannot hide behind a half-completed wall. God called you to that town. God called you to that city. And he will give you the resources. He will give you the lumber. He will give you the plywood. Whatever you need to rebuild. I've seen it in Chicago. I've seen Home Depot. Menards. Just donate. Because of the rebuilding. I'm just saying, press through, press through the storm. The storm will pass with Jesus, just a word with Jesus to say, be still. Nehemiah pressed through the storms and persuaded the people to persevere in their work. He told them not to fear, reminding them that God was with them. 52 days, y'all, 52 days it took to rebuild the walls. That over a hundred years, it was like that. Destroyed. Hundred years, over a hundred years, the walls were destroyed. And everyone went by and no one did anything. Until Nehemiah was in the city of Susa. And someone tells him over there at Starbucks. And he leaves and he travels 766 miles to handle a problem. That's what God is looking. And I looked among them for a man who would stand in Minnesota 
a woman who would stand, and I found no one. There's going to come a testing. I think so. It's going to become a testing of where you and I stand and what we believe. This didn't come out on CNN or Fox News. But in the city of Chicago, when I was pastoring there, I shared the story. And I might have shared this before, but one day we were passing on New Testament Bibles to a high school. And we, we were within our rights to pass out the New Testament. We were, we were not on their city property or sidewalk. We were within our rights. As students were coming out of their parents' car, we were giving out the Bible. And if they didn't want it, they didn't have to take it. But many took the Bible. Many knew who I was. Many knew our church. Um, so forth and so forth. But what happened was, one of the students takes the Bible into the classroom. And he walks into the classroom with the Bible. And the professor saw the student carrying the Bible. And as the student was coming right by him, he grabs the Bible from his hand. He grabs the Bible and in front of the whole classroom, he tells the student body, this here is worth nothing. It's garbage. And he proceeded to throw the Bible in the garbage. And he threw it there. In front of the class in Chicago. This doesn't get on the news. Nobody talks about this. People disrespecting what we believe. Well, he didn't know that there was a kid that went to my church that he took out his phone and he texted his father, Papi, you would not believe what I just saw. Father reads the text, sends me a text. Pastor Choco, you would not believe what I just heard. I read the text and I did what any one of you would do. I got in my car. And I went to the school. Now, you need to know that New Life Covenant in Chicago, we adopted 15 schools. What do I mean by adopting? It means that all 6,200 students get free book bags, free immunization, free haircut, free uniform, sponsored by New Life Covenant Church of the Assemblies of God in Chicago. All of that was paid by the local church. I was building credit throughout the years. And I'm about to cash in. So the principal sees me, she sees me and says, hey, Reverend DeHaitius, how you doing? I said, not good. I said, one of your teachers threw the Bible in the garbage, go get him. I want to talk to him. She leaves her office. I'm in her office. I say a prayer. It wasn't spiritual. But I did end in Jesus' name. I said, God, if this dude, I pray that he threw a math book in the garbage or a science book in the garbage. But if he threw the Bible in the garbage, I'm going to kill him in Jesus' name. Amen. So she comes back in with a tall Anglo atheist, walks in. My name is Reverend DeJesus. What's your name? He gives me his name. Sit down. I want to talk to you. He sits down. I said, is it true that you threw the Bible in the garbage? He said... I said, is it true that you threw the Bible in the garbage? And for a moment, again, I felt like God was watching from heaven in the balcony with the angels, telling the angels, check out my son. Because, because I was raised with no father. So when, when I got saved, he became my father. So in the hood, in the hood, if you mess with one of your family members, you're messing with the entire family. Right? You mess with my father, 
you're messing with me. Don't talk about my mama. Right? That, that was the attitude. That's what we were brought up with. I don't know how it is in Minnesota, but back in Chicago, you, it was survival. So he's messing with my father. Is it true that you threw the Bible in the garbage? And he looked at me and he said, yes, I did. My Puerto Rican blood. I said, how dare you? For thousands of years, people have died for a page of this book. People have climbed mountains and crossed rivers and have died just to get a page. You don't have the right to insult the faith of these kids. I looked at the principal. She's looking up the wall. Her neck is red. And I said, boy, you're lucky, man. You're lucky, bro. You're lucky I'm a pastor in this community. And we believe in repentance. And you will repent today. You will go back to the classroom, take the Bible out of the garbage, ask for forgiveness, and you, principal, get on the intercom and tell all the teachers to respect the Bible. She did. Attention, faculty, attention, faculty. She did her thing, walked the teacher back to his class, took the Bible out. Where is that man? And I looked among them for a man who would stand for what they believe. We would have never faced in 1 Samuel, Goliath, if Saul would have taken care of it. But David has to come to the scene. So let me finish here tonight. Let me finish here. We have gaps in our lives. 545 years later, Another man who walked into the scene, he stood in the gap for humanity, which is Jesus. In every generation, God raises up a woman or a man to stand in the gap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a gap person. Martin Luther King Jr., gap person. Abraham Lincoln, a gap person. Corey Tim Boom. John the Baptist, gap, Jesus Christ, the ultimate gap person. Do you think it's changing in 2021? Absolutely not. In every generation, a man or a woman will rise up and say, not on my watch. I prefer to go to prison than to trade in and capitulate my convictions. It's not going to happen. This is what our people have been waiting for. Our members of our church are waiting for us to say, throw the flag. You can't do that. And speak prophetically into what's happening in this culture. Does that make sense? So go and stand in the gap for your son, for your daughter. When the violence was occurring in the city of Chicago, I took some Royal Ranger tents and I went with my entire family to go sleep in the park to show the community that it was safe. I didn't have police officers, in case you're wondering, because I know some people are, you probably had a gun. I didn't have a gun. I didn't buy a gun until I got to Missouri. That's crazy. <laughs> had no gun in Chicago. I go to Missouri, I got two guns. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> I 
So go and stand in the gap for your family, for your church. Go stand in the gap between death and life. Go stand in the gap for your members. Let them see. Not on your watch. Every single one of us, we're called to be a surveyor like Nehemiah, to be a recruiter like Nehemiah, and to be a fixer, a builder, a manager like Nehemiah. 